What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the Made to Move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon welcome back everyone to the healthy charleston podcast for this week's podcast we got to sit down with chad reese who is the manager of the f45 in mount pleasant Chad's story is amazing. It was something, it was completely unexpected, like you would never have guessed what he's been through, and it was really cool to be able to to talk to him about it, because normally when people sit down for a podcast, we talk about their business and things like that, and it just was very not surface level at all. Um, As a high achiever and someone who put a lot of pressure on himself to compete and perform, He had to go through a lot of scary things, and he wants to share his story for those of you who may be feeling the same way or even experiencing anything similar to what he experienced. His life completely changed during his freshman year of college, and today you get to hear all about it. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. Today we have Chad Reese, the manager of the Mount Pleasant F45 Training Studio. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So I know we've been talking a lot, obviously, before this, and so now we're finally recording. So tell me a little bit about your story, what brought you here to Charleston, what you do now. Yeah. All right, so... I know, it might be a long story. You don't have to share all of it, but... No, please do. (laughs) what brought me here, um, actually a job at MUSC in... December of 2018. Uh, so I was graduating from Bucknell University with a degree in neuroscience, and the plan was to attend med school um, and go into neurology. And my brother was actually doing his master's of health administration down here, so uh, I decided to look at Charleston and got a job at MUSC doing research with um, adoles- adolescents and alcohol. So we were uh, studying the effects on uh, N-acetylcysteine on uh, drinking behaviors in adolescents. And then, um, because of student loans and that whole story, I started looking for other jobs. And uh, I actually ended up moving in with the, at the time, the general manager of the Mount Pleasant studio. Uh, He's now managing the downtown studio as we uh, opened up West Ashley in downtown and started to expand. But uh, I just told him I needed a part-time job, and I started working the desk there, and I did that for... Five or six months. So you lived with him? Yeah. Oh, like you moved yep. in Yep, so with just him. by chance, I ended oh, up wow. moving in down, downtown with him. My brother sent me a link to an apartment, and I, uh, I just jumped on it, moved in with him. And we were talking, and I told him I needed a part-time job. He saw my ears and asked me what I did, and I said I wrestled in college at Bucknell. And so, yeah, I worked the desk there for four to five months. I uh, ended up getting certified and started training classes, and so I trained in the mornings before going to MUSC, and then I do the evening classes as well. And then uh, at the turn of the new year, this year, I was asked to be the general manager of the Mount Pleasant studio with the downtown studio opening up in mind. 
And so Scott, my roommate, moved to manage the downtown studio, and I uh, stayed at Mount Pleasant. I didn't know there was a downtown studio. Mm -hmm. Where is it? It's right on Meeting Street, on the corner by the Oh, Mill, I right just across drove by it. Yeah, yeah, it's new. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. So you have one in West Ashley, downtown, and Mount Pleasant. Mm -hmm. That's exactly. cool. Yeah, how has everything been going, you know, COVID? I know you just opened up, yeah. right? Yeah, it's been going really well. So we did open up with uh, limited capacity, but everybody was excited to be back. And so it's been a ton of fun seeing everybody training safely, of course, keeping of course, distance. Yes. But uh, <laughs> the studios are, are big enough, and F45, as a um, global franchise, did a really good job of putting out an alternate program. So they actually keep you at your stations to do yeah. all your work sets there, and then you move on. You never come back to that station. And they built in sanitation breaks, so you'll have a good 40 seconds to a minute to wipe down the station, make sure everything's clean, and then everybody moves on, and, and we can keep plenty of space between people. So what is what is F45? Like, Tell me a little bit about the philosophy behind it. Um, so F45 is high-intensity interval training, um, really circuit training, but it's a mixture of cardio-based and resistance-based workouts. Really all of the functional movements you can think of, they built into a program. Uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, we do cardio, cardio-based. Uh, so there'll still be equipment, some body weight, um, but things like ball slams, agility ladders, rowers, uh, sprints on the track, sled pushes, all that sort of thing. And then uh, resistance days are more, or they're slowed down a little bit, focused more on um, strength, muscle development. And uh, the format of them though stays the same. It's station work, whether you're rotating between stations, staying at a station until you finish all your work there and moving on. Um, so yeah, just high intensity interval training, but it's, it's made to, to keep you moving the entire time at a really, really high pace. So the, the rest sets are usually 30 seconds or less, 35 seconds or less. And some days it'll be Tabata style, some days 60 minutes of work, 30 seconds of rest, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah. So it's 45 minutes, I'm yep. guessing, right? 45 That's where minutes. where the name comes from? Yeah. So you said you wanted to go to med school, but you didn't. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that story. So in my freshman year, undergrad at Bucknell, uh, it was October of my freshman year, I got meningitis, and that put me in the emergency room for um, just over a week. And the onset was was a lot different. There were about seven kids that got it that year at All my school. All at the same time? Mm -hmm all around the same time, within a couple of weeks. So it was a real big thing. It was, yeah. they were, they were at, um, putting it out there real well, sending emails, letting everybody know, saying if you have these symptoms, please um, make sure that you go to your healthcare specialist or go to the student health center. Was it all like out. dorm students? Um, like freshmen that lives together? A lot of it, yeah. a lot of it. But at Bucknell, you're kind of on campus your whole four years. Oh, okay. But um, unless, there's, there's some seniors that get to live yeah. off campus, but... Yeah, it was it was a real big and scary thing. Everybody was kind of like, you know, we all get the meningitis vaccines, and this was obviously just viral. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were getting some severe symptoms, but they were going away real quickly, so they weren't very prolonged symptoms. Um, some real bad headaches, some migraines, but just mm -hmm. neck stiffness, things like that, but just for a day or two. And then uh, I started feeling a little off a couple of days before at onset, and uh, my father's a veterinarian back in Pennsylvania, and I called him and I said... I don't feel well. Um, for some reason, I just feel off. My, my legs don't feel like they're working real well in, in practice. I'm getting tired super quick, getting really fatigued. I'm not recovering very well. And he said, I think you should be careful. You know, meningitis is going around. Um, oh, so you mentioned it. Yeah, and it was kind of, I don't want to say jokingly, but yeah. in kind of a joking manner, he was like, you know, you better watch out. And then I went to 
the next day I started feeling a little bit worse. I actually went to the emergency room and even though meningitis was going around, they just said, we'll test you for strep. Oh my uh, gosh. I'm sure they didn't want to go through the whole spinal tap and everything like that. So they tested me for strep and they were like, well, you don't have strep. You're good to go. go You're good home. to go. <laughs> so I went back to my dorm, went to bed that night. And then around midnight, uh, I woke up on my dorm room floor laying in vomit and I remember I couldn't move I couldn't see everything was blurry and it just felt like somebody was taking a hammer to the side of my head it Mm -hmm. was just like an excruciating pain and uh, I like reached over to grab my phone but I couldn't look at the screen light because it would just make the headaches worse and so after like 35-40 minutes I managed to dial my dad's number and then once he answered the phone I noticed like I couldn't even speak I was like kind of mumbling and I think he knew like what had happened or what was going on a little bit. So my roommate then woke up, found me, my dad called my coach. Then my coach called the hospital and yeah. they showed up with the ambulance and they had to take me down on a stretcher out of the dorm because I couldn't walk or anything. So I ended up in the hospital for a while and I just remember laying there on the bed and it was like blackout periods. I remember like my coaches coming in, but I couldn't, I remembered seeing their faces and my parents had a conversation with them, but I you don't, don't really care. remember what we talked about, how long they were there for. And so, like I said, I ended up being in there for about a week just with, like, super painful headaches the whole time. Um, after that, they released me, and the headaches still persisted for, I would say, a couple more weeks, and I actually went back home. Um, Bucknell University is only about 45 minutes mm-hmm. from my hometown. Oh, well, that's good, yeah. So I went home for a little bit, um, pretty much didn't do anything, just laid in bed and tried to wait for the headaches to go away. And then I went back to school about a month after at onset and things recovered a little bit initially and then kind of started going downhill again. So the headaches would come back. Um, I would get a lot of migraines throughout the day. I noticed uh, I had, you know, some hyperactivity sort of ADHD like symptoms before college, but never anything like this. Uh, And so I noticed in class, I just couldn't, I find myself just dozing off. Uh, just staring at the wall, I couldn't retain any information. Um, I couldn't remember what we were talking about, that sort of thing, after I got done in class. And then whenever I went back to practice, about a month and a half later, uh, like we talked about, I remember getting down in a wrestling stance, something I'd done, you know, since I was a little kid, and immediately my legs just like seized up. The second I got down a stance and started moving, everything just um, went into like a spasm. And I, and the whole next day and the day after that, I was just extremely sore. So it was like something in my central nervous, my central nervous system as a whole was just completely out of whack. And then uh, those symptoms kind of persisted, got a little bit better here and there, then they regressed through the new year, um, the end of my fall semester of freshman year. I ended up taking my uh, finals for that fall semester in February of the spring semester, so everything was pushed back real far. Um, and then I think that just created a lot of stress, just not knowing what was going on. We did a lot of uh, visits with neurologists and other doctors, and they were just, they did a couple more spinal taps about four months out, and they said, you know, the virus isn't active anymore, but for some reason there's still a ton of inflammation around your brain. And uh, as the symptoms kept getting then worse into the spring semester, we went back. This was about six months out from the onset. And they said six months is really the period of six months of sustained inflammation. The brain is the period where you have to now start worrying about permanent damage. Mm -hmm. So they said, we think that even you just doing your schoolwork and and trying to focus that hard 
expending that much energy cognitively, that's just keeping the inflammation going. And so April, my spring semester, freshman year, I took a medical leave and, and left school and then came back the following October. And really it wasn't until the October of the following year, so about 12 months after the onset, the symptoms started to clear up. So it was just memory problems until then, constant headaches, and really just a lot of brain fog. I noticed I'd wake up in the morning and it would probably take me two hours to actually wake up, regardless of caffeine, how much sleep I got the night before. Um, you were always fatigued. Yeah, it was just always chronic fatigue. And so it, it was, I noticed the main things were a lot of brain fog then in the following four years as well, in the following three years, a lot of brain fog, um, a lot of stress, and then just a big loss in conditioning, whether it was muscle memory or um, my ability to recover or how long I could go for and practice or work out for strength. So it was just almost like a total reset of my central nervous system. I lost it all and had to kind of build from the ground up. Yeah. So did you ever go back to wrestling? I did. Yeah. So I actually finished out my, the three years following. Um, and soft, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a, I don't want to say I didn't have a great career because I learned a ton from my college career. I, well, I didn't have a lot of success in terms of wins and losses. It was losses. very unique. Yeah, it was, it was, for me, it was more so let me see what I can do from here on out. And eventually it all came back, um, my conditioning and endurance and strength. And a lot of it came back. It just took a really long time. And a lot of it was just kind of a daily battle. Like every practice just felt absolutely brutal or every workout was extremely hard. Um, and every, it was just always this, you know, constant battle, just super gritty. And, and I was in and out of the lineup a lot. And a lot of it, I think was, there is a lot of stress related to competing mm -hmm. and performance. Um, I was always somebody, even in high school, before I went off to school, I always took losses super hard. It was just like, I've trained extremely hard for this moment. Mm -hmm. I lost and now there's nobody to blame, but I just feel like I didn't get the job done. And so I think that was a, from all of this, that was a big, I would say mindset shift that came out of it was getting out of that constant cycle. But that was also something that throughout my college career was really holding back or, or created a lot of stress and anxiety. And, and so that, the wrestling and performance that just wasn't there mixed with then all of the classes that were building up with having to take a medical leave and still wanting yeah. to go pre-med and neuroscience. Uh, there wasn't much room for electives. I kind of had to get them done over the summers and a lot of my uh, semester work was major credits or labs and things like that. So it was looking back and, and speaking to my parents and other people, I probably should have just stepped away after all of it from wrestling. But I think, I think that's what they, now looking back, that's what they would have liked to see. Mm -hmm. I think it would have saved a lot of energy and stress, but at the same time, we're all glad I didn't because I think it, it all worked out yeah. for the better. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like you were in so much stress and then you got sick and then because you got sick, you had to postpone things mm -hmm. and then those things finally caught up and it was like this never ending cycle exactly, of yeah. you having all of these things to do and the stress and you wanting to compete and perform but then having a relapse and like getting sick again and having, having those lingering symptoms. Mm -hmm. So exactly. yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I noticed the biggest thing that I did lose was 
Um, I would always get a ton of pre-match anxiety before in high school. Dry mouth, I would get out on the mat and I just couldn't move. And I finally got over that. My junior year is when it kind of clicked. Um, I was never like a big name in Pennsylvania in wrestling up until then. And then I was at like some random summer summer tournament. And my coach was like, it was just like a big back and forth my whole career in high school of I practiced extremely well in the room, could beat anybody. Then I walk around the mat and I feel like I've never wrestled before. And he was like, all right, you know, this kid got third and third or fourth at States last year in Pennsylvania. It was a big name. And he was just like, who cares what happens? Like if you, it's a summer tournament, you know, people were, they're warming up and they're getting ready to compete hard, but they're also laughing with their friends. And he's like, go out and have fun. Complete release. He said, don't think about anything. I want you to have no strategy going to this match. Just, just wrestle and picture your practice partner in front of you. And I did that and I ended up beating the kid and that's yes. where it like kind of clicked. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm coming off like a 20 and 14 record the year before and I just knocked off like the number three kid in the state in Pennsylvania, which is probably the toughest wrestling state. And so after that, it was like a big boost in confidence and I was, that confidence thing just made the world a difference. And once I got meningitis, I didn't compete for another year. And so you hear a lot of runners or people in any sport say, once you, if you take a step, take a step away from competing, sometimes it's so hard to come back because mm-hmm. you have your routine and you have a lot of people practice that religiously. This is what I do before a match. This is what I eat. This is how I self-talk. And I had just lost that whole routine. It was just 12 months of not competing. You just kind of forget what you used to do, what worked, what didn't work. And then there's, a whole different strategy as well because I couldn't go as hard or go as long. And so I lost all of that and that played a big role, I think, in coming back. But just with the compounding stresses of school and wrestling and performance and meningitis, I was just never able to get that that routine back. Because you were under so much yeah. stress. And I, I wonder, like, obviously, you know, everything's connected. Like, I wonder if you were so inclined to this, the pre-match anxiety and that stress and it sounds like you were probably like a very high functioning person. You had all of these, like you had sports, you had working out, you have a big family, you have school. And it's like, I wonder if you were kind of inclined to get this like brain inflammation. Like if your brain was just always under so much stress, like did it just hit that breaking point? And like, I don't know much about meningitis, but I just wonder, we know stress is a a predisposing factor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. everything. And that was... I think you read so much research now and it's becoming more and more prevalent, but really the impact of stress on your body and what it does or what it can predispose you to or how it influences your behaviors and your the way you adapt and your resiliency. And I think that played a huge part in it. I, I wasn't ready from a mindset perspective or from uh, a stress, my ability to adapt to stress going into school to handle something like meningitis and before the onset I was I was just kind of a mess you know I said my uh, high school wasn't the most prestigious and so I wasn't I was always an extremely hard worker but I didn't have that experience of a really rigorous education Mm -hmm. and um, while you know I finished it near the top of my high school class it was nothing the same and so I think me already being already having some higher levels of anxiety that you would see like before I would go out and wrestle all stemming from that going into college and then throw, getting all this work thrown at you mm-hmm. and now you're division one wrestling and 
me just thinking I have to perform 100%, I have to do well, and I have to, my coaches have to notice me, I have to get in the lineup, it all just hit yeah. it was at one time like a wall. And then, yeah, it was like a perfect storm. throw meningitis in and it's like, and now you no can't wonder the reaction was so bad, the, the infection was so severe. Yeah. Yeah, like kind of like you said, maybe there was already this affinity to mm-hmm. it because um, we definitely know going back to kind of stress levels and co- like cortisol, like inflammation. People usually think like you're getting inflammation, you know, because of an injury, something like that. But now we know we can have chronic inflammation purely based off of stress. Yeah, you know, so you got to think about it. Stress is almost you can make an analogy to an injury, right? Mm-hmm. And so like you can and you can have chronic inflammation. You can have chronic cortisol, and we know that can literally mess up your entire body it leads to obesity it leads to all these problems chronic fatigue you know in the absence of any real injury Injury. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. no traumatic brain injury no meningitis no knee pain like you literally just have swelling throughout your body so you know we're starting to make these associations and y'all were talking about it earlier just like how you know uh, your environment whether it's food lifestyle Mm -hmm. stress level anxiety level can just influence you know your health in general where you can look like a healthy person from the outside, exactly. but internally, yeah. literally your cortisol levels, I experienced it. I was a relatively healthy person and there was a stressful time in life and I got my cortisol levels checked and they were through the roof, mm-hmm. you know, and vitamin D levels down. It's like, I'm doing everything right here. Yeah. Right. Or like s- I'm eating broccoli and working out. Yeah. Right. right. Like or I'm so doing high. the whole That's 30. Right. Like I couldn't have been any healthier. Yeah. Like, yeah. and it's still the chronic inflammation is there. made to, to be go, go, go yeah. all yeah. the time. I wasn't sleeping well and had a ton of stress and it's anxiety. He- recovery mm-hmm. is huge. And like, we see that so much more now and in, in the training and the PT realm, like recovery can solve almost anything like proper progression and training and rest and sleep and Nutrition is, is really the like the missing piece of so many people's puzzle. Yeah. It's it's almost nice and now hearing stories like yours and like I told you about Anya's before, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. The blessing is you literally got punched in the face. So you're gonna learn that lesson, right? And you've now have ways to manage that. Where there's probably people out there who have these high levels of stress and anxiety, it never gets that bad where it's you've been punched in the face you're just kind of getting pinched or poked you know and you just like live with it and then your entire life and before it's it's probably too late in your 40s 50s 60s 70s and you've dealt with this your entire life like your quality of life is just shot yeah Yeah, i think that's what look see looking back on it now it's funny because there's so many things that you learn from it like you said i i was doing whole 30 and i was doing everything right it's like well so you thought you know there had to be something that wasn't there or some piece that was missing and it's like we're all these very healthy people, but there's little things going on. And you're like, I feel like I can't do any more right. Then you take a step back after something traumatic happens. And you're like, okay, well, I wasn't getting as much sleep there because I thought that, you know, if I would just work harder and, and better and I would be stronger that I would get where I wanted to go. And so there wasn't that strategy and there wasn't the any real mindset shift or adaptations it was just like i'm gonna go 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 until yeah. i get no coping strategies days. for stress yep. you're like whatever stress yep. stress is normal i can just handle it yeah. i'll just you know yeah, push through it high stress society and then once i get there i can stop you know like once yeah. i get there then you i'll be do. okay nobody then, gets there and then stress will go yeah. away and then yeah and that's so. like saying oh i finally you know i'm finally fit enough like no, no one ever feels that right. way right it's the cliche uh which i like right like fitness is a journey mm-hmm. or health is a journey not a destination right it's you're always moving forward and if you're not moving forward 
and people talking about stress that way is I think the next evolution. People are finally understanding, okay, fitness is super important. Awesome. Cardio, strength training. Cool. Nutrition is really, really important. Yeah. But now we're getting finally a place where it's like sleep. Are we prioritizing sleep? Stress, are we prioritizing meditation? You know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mindset. Talking about your feelings. Health. I don't know. What There's well, talking about your feelings. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. even the, the idea or the practice of meditation, I mean, you've that's become, I think, much more prevalent in the past even since the turn of the new year, oh, yeah. I've been seeing it a lot more. And the re- the research and even even past research, just anecdotally, the stories you hear from people, and I I kind of love anecdotal evidence, just because I think I think research is super necessary. And I mean, I was in clinical research, and I'm a big science guy, and I love reading research. But there's I think there's also something special about somebody's unique experience or story. pieces that you can relate to. So if somebody says, you know, I went through this and you said I did too and how did you cope with it or how did you manage or what'd you do and and they say, Well this is how I got through it, you know, there's there's something there that you can apply or potentially use and I think that's really valuable valuable to people. And like shared like, experiences. Yeah, like talking and we're getting a lot better about this as a society, hopefully. It's like talking about our experiences, talking yeah. about our feelings, mental health, like being okay to say, hey, I'm not okay. Like, hey, I'm mm-hmm. super stressed. Um, so, yeah, I feel like we are making that turn. Like, it doesn't matter if you work out five times a day if you're not recovering. Like, you're, yeah. there's a point of diminishing returns. Like, you're not going to get fitter. You're not going to get smarter. You're not going to be able to work harder if you don't take a step back and, like, let it all sink in and, and let your body rest. And I think rest is... is- comes about in a bunch of different ways I think I was always one that would like we said go 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 until it gets done um, if I just in this I think this was a big wrestling mindset and I think this can be the downfall of a lot of wrestlers or you see when people burn out you get some of the nation's most amazing athletes and they go to college they win a national title as a freshman and they drop off the map mm-hmm. and I think it's because somebody at one time told them you know, like you have to go, 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 go. If you work harder than your opponent, you'll get there. If you push harder in practice, you'll get there. If you stay and always do this extra stuff, you'll be a national champion. And it's like, okay, they win that national title or they all American. And it's, I think a lot of them say like, what's next? But now they're stuck in this cycle of, you know, the only thing I know and how, how I was is to just go, go, go until I get there. And it just doesn't work. It's not, you know, it's not sustainable. Yeah, and it creates this this perception of it creates almost this obsessive compulsive type of perception or mood where you you get fearful and I think not a lot of people will admit that it's fear but I think fear is kind of like the root of anxiety or perfectionism mm-hmm. any of that the reason we go 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 is because I'm afraid I'm gonna fail yeah I think that's you know, such but it's a just point. not yeah it's like oh I, I'm afraid that if I don't work this hard. I won't be as good as I should be or mm-hmm. someone thinks or I, or as I used to be. And then if I'm not that good, what am I? Like, am I, what am I worth? And so people are like, well, then I guess I just have to work hard. And it's like, you can't just work hard all the time. Like, yeah, you're a hard worker, but like you have to stop. But people just think it's linear, right? People yeah. are like, if I work harder, then I'll get this accomplishment and then I'll be worthy. And it's like getting people to take a step back and be like, why Why do you feel like you need this accomplishment for your self-worth? Like, why are you so afraid of what will happen if you take a week or a month off? And, like, I think we see this in CrossFitters all the time. Like, mm-hmm. I've definitely felt this way. Like, oh, I need to work hard so that I can be better. It's like, better than what? Yeah. 
Yeah, you just well, you get, you have, you accomplish something, and you feel good about it, you know, mm-hmm. and then you accomplish something bigger, and then you feel good about it, and if that's your main source of confidence or happiness, and you don't have anything else, of course, like that's just going to be right. And if you you don't want that taken away from you, yeah. and you're right, it's fear based. I mean, name any anxiety. That's not fear-based. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's all fear-based, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, why just, are we afraid? What yeah. are we afraid of? Yeah. If you can't... Like, I do this workout once a day, so I get better at this. Well, now I'm going to add two workouts a day, so I get better. Well, now I'm going to add three workouts a day, and then it's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. 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 To get better at what? You've got to change the why, I think, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's really good, I think, initially, like, to build momentum, but then it's got to be bigger at some yeah. point. You know, you got to make that transition. Um, to something you talked about like always having this mindset and this like anxiety pre-game and like you just being so competitive growing up where do you think that came from was that like were you all competitive as a family like playing sports throughout your life or do you feel like that was just your personality it's funny because there's so many of us but we were never like competitive with each other i think it's you said there's I six t- siblings? Se- I have, there's seven of us total. Okay. Seven Reese kids That's total. a lot. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always someone yeah. to wrestle, right? <laughs> God bless my parents. Yeah. Um, the last one, he, my, my youngest brother's 13, or he just turned 14 yesterday, May 25th, and my oldest brother will be 26 oh in September. Oh. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of us, but we, and we're all very close in age, except for the youngest. Uh, he was kind of a little unexpected. Um, but, <laughs> it's always one of those, right? Yeah. Uh, we're all like 16 months apart, but we're all super different. So it's like my sister, who's the third oldest. So there's my older brother, me, Aaron, Tara, Seth, Megan, Jeremy. Oh, how do you Aaron, remember their name? <laughs> we're going to quiz on that later. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, who is the um, third from oldest, she was, or, well, she's she'll be graduating now in May. Which yeah. unfortunately, her senior he's exactly. senior, senior year. Where'd she go? Uh, Susquehanna in Pennsylvania. Is that the soccer player? Uh, no, she's the runner. Oh, okay. so she's like an amazing runner, and my parents were always big runners, and my mm-hmm. oldest brother ran. But it's like nobody else is a runner. And then my sister Tara, she's a big soccer player, and Aaron is really really good at soccer play- soccer as well. But then Tara played soccer in college, mm-hmm. and then uh, I wrestled, and my younger brother Seth wrestled for a little bit, but then like he's real into like computer software engineering and stuff like that. And then my youngest brother, Jeremy, is 14, but he's six foot tall my height, and he plays basketball. So you're all so athletes, like, yeah. You're yeah. And you go but to the battle, I'm sure wrestling was part of that too, just the culture of wrestling. Yeah, so. yeah. But we're all very, very different. But yeah. for some reason, I mean, my parents told me, even whenever I was a little kid, even whenever I was like three years old, uh, my mom would say like, no, you can't do this, Chad. And she said, I used to just like find the nearest vase or something and just toss it across the room. So <laughs> she said, you're always very strong. And I think I got that from her and my younger brother, uh, one of them is the exact same way as well. And I, you know, I kind of grew out of the throwing the vase. Those, yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Those, <laughs> those behaviors and things. Um, but then it kind of manifested in like this, this perfectionism type mm-hmm. of attitude. And I think that's where, like we were talking about with fear, I think that's where it stems from unconsciously, but just always feeling like I have to, I put so much work into things, they have to work out if they don't, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? And so I think that's where a lot of that was grounded in, just that perfectionist mindset, wherever that comes from. Um, and so that always 
gave me a lot of drive. I was never a good wrestler in middle school. I actually started in elementary. I quit because I just hated it. It was too intense. Oh, there was too much going on. Right yeah, and then I went back to it in middle school when I was. I would just get my. I would get beat up every single practice all the time. And for some reason, I decided to just start wrestling all year round. And in eighth grade, and my dad, um, I, I started doing freestyle and Greco. It's like the internationally, that's the style for the Olympics is what you would compete in. Um, but the U.S. is folk style, so it's freestyle and Greco is two completely different styles than what we do every day in the United States. But in the off season, just like all star teams or things like that, that's what you compete in wrestling. You do freestyle and Greco tournaments. And stuff like that. And so I just, something clicked where I said, you know, I told my dad I'd, I used to play football and baseball and I quit all of them and just did wrestling. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to get really good at wrestling. I'm tired of getting beat up. And so I started wrestling all year round. He would just, again, God bless my parents, he would drive me all over the state of Pennsylvania, the whole way across the East Coast to go to wrestling tournaments. Again, I just get beat up all the time. Uh, I started getting better and better. And then he put me on my first uh, national team when I was in eighth grade. And we went out to Indiana and competed against all the other states. They all have their teams. And that was a really good experience, too. We went, we had a training camp before that was four days. It was like four practices a day for four days straight. It, it makes no yeah. sense, right? right? They just beat the crap out of you and they're like, go compete. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that there's much more uh, science behind the training now, but. Traditionally in wrestling, it was go until you throw up or until you can't. Most training, anymore. you know. Yeah, yeah for, yeah, for a yeah. lot of sports, football. Oh yeah, I mean, running. I played volleyball in high school, and I didn't volleyball, make past freshman yeah. year because I got mono for the whole year. Yeah, it was like we trained so hard for the tournament, and then the whole weekend you just crush yourself playing. Yeah, and then everybody gets sick, and you These wonder why. Could all be connected, right? Um, Maybe. Yeah. But uh, you just need to work harder. But yeah, yeah, I just started doing national teams wrestling all year round, and. It was interesting, again, looking back at it now, because I really didn't... My summers as like a high school kid would be like, oh, I can't wait to go and do another tournament or go on another national team. So I just wrestled all the time. And that getting into that mindset and that level of training just made me feel like I was always, you know... I was eventually decided I wanted to wrestle in college, and so I was always training for something. Exactly. You know, I was always trying to get somewhere. So training now is much different than then. That's, I noticed it was a really interesting change when I moved down here or when I finished my career at Bucknell, I was no longer training for anything anymore. I was just, I I'd never in my life exercised just to be healthy. Like I have mm-hmm. to get up and work out today. It was always like, it was scheduled for me and it was always made out and we have a professional strength coach and a wrestling coach and um, a speed and agility coach and all these other things it and it was all intense. kind of mapped out for you. I feel like Pennsylvania wrestling was pretty intense. <laughs> this was in this was in college. Yeah. Uh, but even high school still it was the same way. I mean you were always looking ahead to the next tournament or the next yeah. match or states, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but it, it was a huge change whenever I came down here. It was the the fitness industry down here kind of blew my mind. I was like, I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania. We're surrounded by Amish people. It was it's very rural. Um, and people don't go and do group fitness classes or people don't work out every day. It just wasn't a thing. It's just kind of an anomaly up there. And then I came down here and found something like F45. And I was like, this is my wrestling room. This is kind of what mm-hmm. the same environment. Somebody's yelling at you, motivating you. There's these, my first F45 class. 
Uh, I thought I was in like amazing shape. Right. There's this woman beside me and she was like 55 years old and did probably twice the number of burpees that I did in 60 seconds. <laughs> I'm sitting oh there God. like barely able to get up off what my What am I doing wrong with my life? Yeah. <laughs> she finishes the set and just kind of like paces around a circle. Yeah. Timer goes off and she hits burpees again for 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. You do burpee for 60, 60 seconds at a time? It was just this like particular workout. Some of them are 60 yeah. seconds long for four sets. <laughs> You hate burpees. Why do you hate I burpees? do like burpees. I just don't like pain. But I somehow put myself through it every single day. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that I think that just came from the training. I think my, yeah. my whole undergrad or my whole high school experience was very wrestling based, was very athletics based. It was like where again, where am I gonna go? How can I get there? I'm yeah. not very talented at wrestling. But I would beat kids based purely on endurance. I would just go, go, go until mm-hmm. they would break and I would just be able to score off of their exhaustion really. And that made it probably more frustrating in college when, you know, that your work. body was literally yeah. giving up on you, right? Yep. Because it wasn't because you weren't training hard enough. Probably at that point, the more you were training, mm-hmm. the worse your yeah. symptoms would be. Yep. So it was literally exactly. the same thing. It was like your own, you know. And it was it was just like you said before, full cycle. Yeah, it was. Um, you were forced to learn. I just didn't understand yeah. what was going on. Well, we're and, not taught that. Yeah. And like in high school sports, like you were mentioning it. I mean, the kids are just running to the ground, and I don't know why we think that the kids are going to be that much different than the way that adults react to that stress, because, like, you go to school all day, right, and then you have practice after, and then you have homework, and then you go to bed, you wake up early, mm-hmm. and you just repeat, and then what are your weekends doing? Like, you're, you're playing sports, and you're working out. It's Traveling like, to tournaments. And... Like, kids never get a break either, and that's why so many people burn out, so many kids get injured or sick or, like have problems in school because they can't focus and it's like maybe we should take a step back and see what we're putting our kids through just so they can play sports and like Mm -hmm. it's great because it gets so many people to to go to college and then like a very small percentage get to go professional but it's like most of these kids are doing this for fun and so why are we making this something that causes people so much stress and anxiety that that lingers and affects their whole life when it's like a seven-year-old playing soccer and going to soccer. You can't even train for fun. Like, my kids, like, they have to... Like, there's no, like, easygoing one-day-a-week program for, like, a seven- or eight-year-old. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to go play soccer, it's, like, it's three tough. days a week. Yeah. Now. Like, I'm not... I've officially, like, stopped signing up my kids for that stuff. Because I was like, I want to enjoy my... And I want them to enjoy it, too. And they're just like, yeah. it's crazy. You know, I have my own theories as to why yeah. it is. I think it's very money-driven and things like that. Yeah. But it's unfortunate. Yeah, like, well, like just enjoy just playing sports. And, yeah, the attitude and culture of the United States and, and a lot of countries is... Sure. In societies, is just, like we said, go, go, go. You know, it's like you have to be training for something. Instead of yeah. training just to be... Just to perform well at your sport, and then the end result is... Um, maybe you win the game and the game was fun. Yeah. Instead of, you know, okay, we won the game, but instead of any celebrating and now it's, it's not like you should never have goals or looking forward to something, but it's like we won the game. Now we have to get right back to work. Yeah. Like Matt Frazier takes months off after he wins the games. Yeah. So like, why can't like little kids with their bodies adapting and growing, probably not eating and sleeping the way that they should, but we're like, Oh, they're okay. Like, they'll get through they're it. just train year-round. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me. I've just never thought about the way that that we do things like that. But, mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you wanted to go to neuroscience. So obviously, all of this kind of, like, drove you to that. Yeah, right? yeah. The, a little bit about that? The interest in neuroscience, I think, was really sparked by what happened with my meningitis case. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, like we talked about before, they, they tested for meningitis and I'm not sure what the testing entails exactly in terms of all the details biologically, but we thought they would have tested for something else. It just wasn't explaining itself, the, the positive viral meningitis diagnosis and then the symptoms that followed. And so we think there is something else going on or what's interesting to think about is it could very well be because of that level of stress Mm -hmm. or the predisposition to the virus and viral infection from whatever stress was already there. But we can system. We didn't know that. Exactly. And, and that really sparked my interest in the medical field, not necessarily just the, um, infection, the viral infection myself, but really what happened next. So all of the people over the next year that we went to see, and a lot of it was a really negative experience. And this isn't like talking down on the medical field, but a lot of the doctors, a lot of the doctors we went to were almost offended or angry that we were like, you know, we don't think that your opinion is right. And the opinions that they were giving us were, you know, um, I think you should, you know, go take an, the federal ADHD test and see what that shows. Like maybe you have ADHD or, or maybe ADHD symptoms have been exacerbated by this or maybe, um, you know, it's too much stress. And we're like, yeah, you know, that's why we're here because there's something going yeah. on. But all the, all the responses were common in that they were all like, this is now something that you should do or this is the result of the infection or this is the what the symptoms are doing to you behaviorally or cognitively or, or mentally, but they weren't looking at, all right, well, what happened at the start? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. And what is, what might be causing it to continue? They were just all kind of looking at the prep, like, where do we go yeah. Yeah. and know we had any answers. And now we're like, well, no wonder they didn't have any answers because there wasn't story. anywhere to go. Yeah. We had to figure out what really happened to make it that severe. And then what was <laughs> causing it to become chronic now? That's the that's the medical field though in general, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what happened as we transitioned away from a general practitioner, right? Kind of like hometown GP has a skill set of a lot of things, can kind of like take the entire person into account. And now we live in this specialized world, mm-hmm. and it's more deductive reasoning. So the purpose of typically of the doctor is to basically rule things out mm-hmm. and just tell you it's not something serious. So that's why I kind of try to educate a lot of the patients is like. They're going in there, and hopefully there's nothing seriously wrong with you. And if you get that out of the doctor's appointment, that's that's a win. That's all you should really get. After that, unfortunately, just the world we live in, it's up to you to figure out how to manage those yeah. symptoms. Like, it's just, you know, unless now there's becoming more of this functional, um, you know, holistic, naturopath, whatever you want to say, where they can look at the whole. But it's just that our medical system wasn't built that way. Yeah. They're not built for people like you. They go in and they say, you don't have this diagnosis, you're fine. Or you had this diagnosis. This is the protocol. There, there's so rare to yeah. find a doctor who and they already had a diagnosis. Yeah, and so and so they're frustrated because they don't know anything. Like mm-hmm. you have the diagnosis. Yeah. What do you want from me? So yeah. I've done my job. It's, exactly. It's check and they, yeah. they're just not built to say, okay, where have you been? What are you doing now? And what should you do in the future? And mm-hmm. then, like it's a big reason that you know made to move has been successful. Yeah. I always seem to tie things back is because that's our medical system's built, and that's what we do completely different. Is that we come in and say. Where have you been? How have you trained? What are you doing now? What do you want to do in the future? And now I can give you a plan going forward because that was your biggest frustration, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do now. Tell me what to do now. Yeah. And they won't tell you because that's not what they're built. They won't be like, well, let's go in and try to change your nutrition. 
Did that work? Yes or no? Come back to see me. Mm, kind of worked, but didn't. Cool, let's tweak your sleep. Cool, let's tweak how much you're working out. Let's maybe just do an hour of studying instead of two hours of studying. And like, it's just, it's they're like, go get tested for another diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. Because they don't have the time. They the only did. way to do that is the time to like see you probably on a, on a monthly basis. It's not set you. up for that. Though, yeah. You know? There's no yeah. way. There's no way. It's kind of more built like a sales model now. Sickness care. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. how many people are coming in the door, you know, but it's, what's interesting with that to me is if, you know, the whole, it's very, very lucrative thing, you know, very lucrative model. But if you think about successful healthcare, you don't want people to come back, right? Like yeah. if we, if you did your job in the same, oh, not the same, with, <laughs> not the same with us. And, and there's a lot of factors in that too. A lot of variables that they, they have to do their part as well. You know, so if you guys give somebody a whole treatment plan or, or therapy plan, including lifestyle changes and everything like that, and then they come back a couple months later and say, you know, what made the move gave me didn't work. And you, you sit them down and you say, well, did you do all of this that we had? And they say, well, I didn't sleep any longer because, you know, my knee hurts. It's not related to my sleep. So I still had a lot of work to do. So I didn't sleep longer. Um, and I didn't do this because I, again, I had a lot of stuff to do. So I didn't do that. Those exercises some days. And it's like, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, we always I mean, try to like meet people where they're at and, yeah. and like, my goal is to make someone independent of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even if that means like monthly check-ins, because like, I believe we all need accountability, like we all need coaching. And, and so, yeah, if someone comes into me monthly, like that's great to, to hold accountable. But as a PT, like you should become independent of me, like a patient yeah. should not need me anymore. And so, yeah, to have someone kind of like with doctors, like, why are you getting paid based off how sick your patients are and how many surgeries you're doing? It should be like, you're, you're a doctor, your goal is to make people healthy. The healthier your patients are, the, the more successful you should be. But in the United States, we see money as success mm-hmm. and not like how our people are doing or, and how we're helping people and how we're impacting society. Yeah. It's just so backwards. Yeah, and I, I don't think this is to talk down like on all doctors. I think there's a lot of oh, amazing doctors. I mean, these people yeah. are brilliant. And, and medical school is extremely competitive. It's just gone. And so it's yeah. just the way that sometimes they're trained and this not, might not be every curriculum but what we saw in this particular case was a lot of people s- saying let's look to see what else is happening instead of saying in terms of another diagnosis mm-hmm. instead of saying well let's look to see what's going on currently in your daily life like you mentioned what are your practices what are you how much are you sleeping you're just not trained to do that even just yeah. somebody assessing like stress levels and that was the biggest thing for me was just this insane amount of stress. I mean, I was, I would, I think college is already stressful for a lot. And some, yeah. some kids, and you see how resilient students can be, breeze by you know, school with extremely difficult courses and, and they're doing all these extracurriculars. But these people, and this is kind of how um, my father is, they're just very naturally very good at modulating that stress. Like they have a very, very good stress response. And they know how to adapt to it. But for the people who don't, nobody ever teaches you when you're growing up. If this theoretical major life event happens, this is how you should or should not respond. It's just here it is. And um, like you talked about earlier with a lot of people being, you know, now 50, 60 and, and they're having all these issues, whether it's related to inflammation or stress or things like that. I think that was one thing that one reason I'm I'm very thankful for what happened was because at 21 or well at the time 18 years old 
I got to experience this absurd level of stress and almost like, to me, relatively world-ending thing mm-hmm. and over over the next four years that would follow of everything that possibly could have gone wrong yeah. go, going wrong and then somehow I had to still bounce back from it and and try to get something out of it and normally I think that happens a lot and it could maybe later in your 20s or 30s or people you, something like you lose a job or mm-hmm. or you go bankrupt things like that but this was something that for me relatively speaking, was very, very serious because my whole life is dedicated to athletics and my performance and my education. And I had, you know, really trapped at home. I want to do all of these things. I want to go to med school. I want to perform really, really well, (laughs) you know, and it just, none of it was happening. And so it was all kind of going, yeah, down the drain to me in my head at the time. Forced on those coping skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at an early yeah. age, which serves yeah. serves you well later in life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah like easier. Eighteen, a lot of experiences to... that most people won't have until they're much older, and the impact of all of that stress that they put themselves under, and then not eating well and not sleeping, like it will catch up mm-hmm. for you. It just hit you like a train, and it was like if you keep doing things the way that you're doing, you're going to keep experiencing this. So it was like, well, what do I change? And it's, yeah. it sounds like the, the doctors didn't tell you. And didn't give you advice mm-hmm. on what you had to change. So what, like, what did you go do from there? So from there, we, from there, really, I kind of, I guess this is where it gets funny because I say like, I was gratefully experienced and, and to learn a lot from it. And now looking back at it, as I study things like mindset and recovery and rest and meditation and things like that, now I'm getting stuff from it, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? Five years later. But in the time, I just waited it out. I was just this very anxious and stressed and angry person. And then I just fortunately was able to go back to school in the fall. So I left school, waited out over the summer. I took like a course over the summer. Um, You never really rested. (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. I was like, you know, I, I left school. I took a medical leave. I took two months off. Now I need to go back. I need to start training. I need to take courses. So I took courses over the summer, went back in the fall. And everything actually started going much better. And naturally, fortunately, I was able to kind of recover from the infection. And some of the symptoms were going away. But what didn't go away was the stress and anxiety and, and the anger and behaviors and things that came with it. So now my behaviors were very, like, stress-based. You know, it was like something would happen and I'm triggered. Yeah. It's just like, because I'm always in this high stress exactly. state it's like always always system always yeah you're running. stuck in like a fight or flight mode mm-hmm. you know so it never really got fixed and then everything's going well through my sophomore year it goes well through my junior year but I'm still there's still some residual effects you know I'm in and out of the lineup because I never got that pre-match anxiety under control and now my body was still recovering over the next four years I still wasn't performing right but I never took the time to sit back and say why is this still happening why am I not performing I would just, the same thing, just go, 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 practice as hard as I could and try to go compete. Um, and then my sophomore year went well. My junior year went even better. I finished with like a 398, having four pre-med courses my spring yeah. semester, my junior year. Everything was looking great. Um, I had brought up my GPA from the time that I was trying to do school and have that meningitis infection freshman year. Brought that all up. Started my senior year, and two months into my senior year, about October, the same the same time that the original infection took place my freshman year, 
all the symptoms started coming back. So memory problems, fatigue, and it was all out of nowhere. This time, there was really nothing significant that happened. I remember talking to my parents and I said, for some reason I can't focus anymore. And for some reason now, I can't get out of bed anymore. And I was somebody that would get up at like 4.30 a.m. and and go read or study or do whatever I quote unquote needed. (laughs) Do whatever I quote unquote needed to do. I think that was... Needed. As we were talking, that's the big underlying issue. Might be a little type A. No, maybe no. <laughs> but uh, it all came back, and it 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 really affected my whole senior experience. I mean, I thought that my anxiety and stress were bad freshman year. Now my GPA is good, and now mm-hmm. it's all coming back down. You know, now that I can't fear. focus anymore. What's gonna happen? Yep. And so it was all my stress levels were already high. Now they're ramped up even more. And I finished my senior year, but it had gotten so bad my senior fall that right before finals, I was in the um, psych center and in the student health center. And I said, I can't take my finals. I can't think. Every time I try to study, I get a headache. And they were like, well, unfortunately, you missed the day to put in your request to extend finals. You missed it by a day. So this was Tuesday. It was due Monday. And I went straight to the dean and I said, if I take my finals... And I'm trying to go to med school and I'm trying to finish with, you know, above a 3.5. If I take my finals, I will fail. Like, I have a final tomorrow and I've had migraines. I can't sleep. I can't stay awake in class. There's something going on. We don't know what it is. And he said, well, you know, there's nothing. Like, this was the policy. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, well, you guys make the policy. I just, I need some help here. Mm -hmm. And this was all fueling even more anxiety and anger and frustration. And so I took my finals and I bombed them, completely bombed them. Definitely, yeah. And now it's like, you know, I went from getting a 398 junior spring to getting a, oh, what did I get? Like a two point something, or 1.9? Oh my gosh. Total? Something like like that. Like with the the Yeah, so I had like a B plus in biochem, I finished with like a D plus. Just because it will be In one final. The final. In one final. final. That's how bad I did. And so... That once that happened, you know, I was just now, now everything has just gotten much worse. You know, now I'm just super worried and angry and anxious. And I come back in the spring anyway. The spring, I got a lot of help. We actually found a functional medicine doctor and started looking at all these things like stress, um, cortisol levels, what else is going on besides this meningitis infection four years ago that we think is causing residual symptoms. And they said, you know, Chad, I know this is hard to hear, but we don't think that this is related at all to your meningitis infection. I mean, that's, that's long gone. This is solely you having a, with the lack of an ability to adapt to stress. Wow. You know, like you yeah. just, to put it brutally honest, you just, you're not doing very well coping with stressors. You're not doing very well coping with past trauma. You're, mm-hmm. you know, really... But that was, like, a hard to hear, but also oh, probably a relief probably at the like same time. Yeah, because it was like, well, yeah. maybe nothing's actually really wrong. Just to hear that. These, yeah, we get These that. symptoms were so severe at 21 years old that, and, you know, I'm a Division One wrestler. Why do I, why can I not get out of bed in the morning? You know, these symptoms were so severe and I couldn't finish practices that I was thinking, you know, something was going terribly wrong. It's like you're sitting on Google trying to figure out what's going what on with you. What have right now? Exactly. Yeah. And so they took like thyroid levels and all this other stuff. Um, and you know, my thyroid was through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, cortisol levels were through the roof or TSH was through the roof. Mm-hmm. And so like very hypothyroid, cortisol very high. A lot of things that just looked really horrible on paper. Uh, I mentioned that 
February, my senior spring, I started vomiting every time I eat. This was totally new and random, so now I couldn't even eat food. And so we did a lot of um, testing for food allergies and gluten, dairy, things like that were some of the issues. And really after that, I finished my senior year. We kept meeting with these doctors to try to figure out what's going on. Um, I got about a two-month extension on my finals for senior spring to graduate because we got like a note that said I had like an autoimmune disorder or something. And uh, then after that, it was really all these symptoms were still present, but at least I had more of an answer about what was going on. And I had some time now. I wasn't worried about school. Mm -hmm. I wasn't wrestling. So I just started playing with diet. Um, Eventually kind of got to where I am now, just all whole foods, nothing processed, nothing frozen. I make everything myself. Um, Grass-fed meat, Mm -hmm. uh, no dairy, no gluten, everything like that. It's like I can't imagine your diet being that bad before, right? But maybe it was. Yeah, but... um, and that that stuff kind of helped self-correct a little bit, but then there were still lingering symptoms like headaches and brain fog. So a lot of these cognitive things that never went away, and I noticed that when I would get really stressed, I would get stomach flare-ups, even though I was eating now perfectly. So it's like now I'm actually doing everything right, but for some reason there's still symptoms, and then we're still just back in that constant feedback loop. Now I get symptoms, I'm stressed. I'm stressed, I get symptoms. And it wasn't until I think I really, I really sat down and... and looked back and said, like, why am I, you know, constantly stressed? Why am I stuck in this state? And it wasn't until I think I got a lot of that under more control that the symptoms actually went away. And so now it was, I didn't, had been taking thyroid medication, for instance, this was a while back, like a year ago, and it wasn't really doing anything. We weren't seeing any changes. I took it out, um, finally started trying to cope better with stress, learn new ways to deal with that. And all of a sudden, my TSH levels go straight back down, back to normal levels. So it's like it was like over stress. it was like over a couple week period. It Dang. wasn't even any any dramatic period of time. And that's so some great was, anecdotal evidence, right? Yeah, it was all. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like so many people can relate to this, though. Yeah. It was all connected, and yeah. and that I think that was whenever I started to look back and say, "This is what I was supposed to learn from this." You know, from this it whole only experience. took you what four years? Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe <laughs> these people it takes a lifetime before they true. learn it. Yeah. True. So, what did you learn? Like, how do you cope now, or how did you try? To yeah, maybe give people some good strategies. If somebody well, is. that's still see, that's still something I'm trying to learn now because mm-hmm. whenever I moved here, I I got one job. It wasn't enough in terms of income. My loans came out of deferment, and these were all yeah. these were all private loans, mm-hmm. and so I had to get a bunch of jobs. And so now I'm in a whole different situation. You know, it, it was school and wrestling and performance. Now it's just something that I never thought I'd think about. Well, student loans and money. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, making payments and things like that. Um, but I think a lot of it now is what we talked, you, you had mentioned briefly, changing the why. So for me, my old why was, you know, I have to succeed in order for my coaches to be proud of me to actually believe I'm a good wrestler or if I don't go to med school, you know, what are my grandparents going to think who are uh, in the medical field or what are, what are my parents going to think even though they've never had, I don't have any they're reason. very external. There's <laughs> <Very external. laughs> nothing internal about any of My parents practice. are super supportive. So they're, yeah, always, no, like, they're yeah. always like, you guys can do whatever you want. You yeah. know, whether you're, whether you make a lot of money, don't make a lot of money, we, you know, it awesome. doesn't matter to us. We yeah. love you either way. So, but I was, I would, blame your parents. this perception <laughs> was, I was putting like these things exactly. that didn't exist in my head, right? Like yeah. these fake versions of perception. 
And I was like, you know, what's everybody going to think? What are my classmates going to think if, if I don't do this or that? And so I think just changing the why. And whenever I found something like F45, that made me realize what I really wanted to do or why I really wanted to do what I wanted to do. And it's the plan is still at the time potentially med school, but it's been pushed back and there's not any more stress and anxiety around when I get there. Again, because I'm not too concerned now with what with what think. it is, yeah, with what people think or even my assessment or my evaluation of, of success now is different. So whenever I took over, whenever I started training, I got a glimpse of it. Of I'd never really done much in the way of like serving people, right? Like we did community service and stuff, but to me that was a little bit different. Um, whenever I decided I want to go to med school, I didn't have the words for it. I didn't know why I wanted to go. I just said, I don't want this experience to happen to me and the, the fight we've gone through for treatment to ever happen to anybody else because it's much simpler than it actually is. So it's all it was all grounded in stress and fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And there were real medical diagnoses, but that's not what was causing everything to live on. You know, if I had had everything under control and I got meningitis, I might have been a couple days of headaches went away and I might have had an amazing college career. Or it could have just gotten worse and something worse could have happened. Yeah. But so I had at the time decided, you know, I want to go into the medical field because I don't want this to happen to anybody else, but I didn't have the words for that. And now whenever people ask me, you know, why do I want to go to the medical field? It's not money. It's not anything else. My response is usually I want to change the system and I want to serve people. So I think that's, I think I found what I get a lot of joy from. And what I get a lot of um, fulfillment, yeah, fulfillment and content from, is just serving people. And so there's still, the, I mean, a ton of work to be done. Obviously, like this is all very recent to me, yep. and I'm st- I still am kind of stuck a lot of the times in that perfectionism attitude, and that's really the driver behind anxiety. I would say mm-hmm. is if it doesn't go this way, you know, it's. I'm not going to be successful. It's not going to work out the way I want. Or, you know, people aren't going to like F45. They're going to have a different yeah. perception about it. All these little things that you realize it's that's not the way it works, you know. And so that would probably be my main mechanism, or at least as I'm starting to learn how to deal with it, is just being intentional. And this is something I have to do each and every day. And a lot of the times I get to midday and it doesn't work. You know, I get really stressed out. I lose that intention and I, you know, I might lose my temper. I might get frustrated and it, then my mind immediately goes back to like the story of my life type of thing. Like this is everything that happens. Nothing's ever working out. You know, I'm never going to get to med school. I'm never going to do this. And then I sit back and I say, you know, like why, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's really, or why do I even want to go to med school? It's really to serve people and it's really to, regardless of money or anything else, improve the health and well-being of people. So when I got asked to be a general manager at F45, I was like, I think this could be one of the most valuable experiences, learning experience of my entire life because I'm young, but I'm in a leadership position and there's just a lot of responsibility and I'm in a position now where um, I have a really direct impact on people's lives, everybody who steps in that door. And so that's really, I think, how I'm starting. Again, I say starting because it's by no means. I mean, this whole COVID thing was. I didn't, right? Like, you were know, manager. One of the most stressful things, again, I said since meningitis. But it's like, yeah. I think I learned a ton from it. I think, 
aside from from you know the severity of it for me personally it was and I don't know what this come off from but it was a very beneficial experience because hey, you learn how to deal with stress the business is closed and it yeah. says how can we how can we um, no better way to learn to cope with yeah. stress than put yourself in an insanely global pandemic yeah. how can we situation? provide value to people when we can't see them anymore because we were used to having people in mm-hmm. studio and for somebody like me with this whole my um, previous mindset and the perfectionism it's like oh these people are in front of me you know what am I going to do what if what if they leave yeah what if they leave and find another studio what if I can't provide them value like we could before in studio and then you just sit back again and it's like okay well everybody's in the same boat mm-hmm. what's the why now how can we be intentional about that why and how can we still serve them and it turns out you know we started doing zoom classes and everybody was extremely grateful yeah. more so than um, I ever thought people would be and it's, I think that's a really good feeling because people, they, they see how much it means to you and how much, you know, their health and well-being means. And that's, again, why I chose the medical field or why I like the fitness industry so much. Yeah. I mean, it's, in my opinion, you could have just as big of impact, maybe even bigger yeah. in the fitness field mm-hmm. on somebody's health and wellness than you could in the medical yep. field. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, doctors save people's lives. I mean, there's amazing things that health professionals do, all health professionals, but I think it's just as valuable in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. You've got somebody, yeah. just like you said, you, what helped you the most? It wasn't for your thyroid. It wasn't medication. Yeah. It was, just, it was something completely intangible. It yeah. was a lifestyle thing. It was mm-hmm. and nothing, you know, I'm sure a doctor could say the same thing. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. And it's why you like F45 so much is because you, you get to serve people. Yeah, and, serve people and, in a different way. And yep. you have all the time in the world with them and you get to meet their needs and get to know them. And, and that's what we talked about was missing in a lot of our healthcare and, and you get a direct impact on that. Yeah. So. And that, what you said was, was funny because people were asking, you know, how long do you plan to be a manager for? Where do you plan to go next? Like when do you, a lot of people recently knew I wanted to go to med school and I, I keep getting, um, you know, Chad, when are you going to go to med school? When are you going to apply? When are you going to take the yeah, When are you going to have kids? Out? And I keep saying like, I'm, I'm 24. I'm not, I don't, I try not to use the word, uh, who did I see this from? Maybe I listen to like Brendan Burchard a lot or Tom Bilyeu, people like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them say, um, let's get away from saying, I'm not going to worry about this or that. And let's just say, I'm not going to focus on it. You know, cause whenever you say worry, it immediately puts you in that fight or flight type of mindset. Yeah. So I always tell people, I'm not focusing on when I'm going to med school. I'm really focusing on what can I learn in the moment. That was something that I never did before with having all this fear and anxiety and I think perfectionists miss this a lot and obviously like we've heard enough times now perfectionism I don't think is a good thing by any means I don't think perfectionism is well it's very future based if you're in the present moment you really don't have a lot of anxiety if you're in a moment Mm -hmm. 100% there's not a ton of anxiety in that specific moment but your anxiety is really fear of the future exactly I think there's a difference in always striving to be your best and, and to improve and to always, or to try to always be what you think is perfect and what other people think. And you talked a lot about like the external pressures that you put on yourself and like the misconceptions of the people around you. Mm-hmm. It's like those things don't exist. People don't look around for perfection. So why do we as individuals strive for it? It's like, I don't look for perfection in you or you, but yet for myself, I do. Mm-hmm. You just can't control all that stuff. That's, that's what helped me. It's like, because you tried to control the outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You tried. You probably tried harder than anybody could have probably tried to control an outcome. Mm-hmm. 
and it didn't get you that outcome. So as soon yeah. as I kind of realized that I really don't have any control over the outcome, I mean, I do, but I really don't, you know, when kind of learning that is a, yeah. is a big step for me. And that's hard for people to do because it's like the fear of letting go. Oh, yeah. At least if I'm trying as hard as I can to control every little aspect of my life, at least I know... I did it much as At I least could. I think I know that every little piece is in order. When, when, when in reality, myself. you're just giving yourself... You're just cluttering your mind and there's a million and one things to think about and a million and one things to try to do and you're never really getting anything done. Because it's you're, quite the rabbit hole that you yeah, spend. Exactly. Well, yeah. that's like Corona in general for people. It's like everyone lost control and we're all like, what do we do? Definitely the worst part of Corona. Yeah. yeah what you thought was control. Really. Exactly. <laughs> like we all had this misconception of having control over our lives and like with me taking boards and, and your businesses closing or being, you know, close and we all realize, like, we're not really in control here. <laughs> so, like, what can we do? Like, how do we cope so that this doesn't... Who, who knows how long this is going to last, yeah. but if we You can't it, change what happened. You can change how you... How you adapt. Yeah. How you react. Yeah. How you respond. Yeah. There's a quote, and I, like... I think I got a scholarship for this, actually. It's, like, attitude... Or life is a 90%... Or, no, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all about like yeah your attitude and, and how you react to things. So, but it's amazing how before you and this is what I think the society and cultures would be so much better off and if everybody started to understand this is that that's not something you think about until something traumatic happens. And I, I know that's the story with a lot of people, but it's just you don't you just go day to day doing whatever you have to do and you never really sit back and think about it mm-hmm. until something, at least for me, like this happened and not even when it happened, but five years after it happened. Cause now I'm in a situation where I'm now in something that I'd never thought I'd ever be in. I never thought I would be training anybody or a trainer. I always mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to be a doctor. This is how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the path for my life. But you set that path, something happens, and now you're completely lost. Yeah. So nobody ever thinks about just the impact of their reactions to things, no matter how small. But also, just like we said, being intentional about why you're doing something. So if I would have known um, why I really wanted to be a doctor, for instance, I think the path that I had to take wouldn't have been so stressful and traumatic if I would have known why I wanted to do what I wanted to do and then there wouldn't have been all of that anxiety about what's mm-hmm. going to happen if I don't get there what are people going to think yeah like so, doing, they wrote a whole book on it starts with yeah. why yep you know so, exactly. yeah. Yeah. it's like doing what you think you should do versus doing what you internally like want to do and mm-hmm. figuring out why we have those biases but yeah yeah I think this has been super powerful for not what I thought we were going to talk about right but I mean, the best podcast exactly though. like I'm you know, normally we get a lot of like really cool professionals in here, and we just talk about their job and like their fitness and their training and We're what they do. We're gonna talk about squatting the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and, things, but it's yeah. really cool to hear like your unique story because um, yeah. mm-hmm. I think it can really impact a lot of people, and so many people go through the same thing. So, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. I think That's this awesome. will be a really awesome podcast. Mm-hmm. So, with that, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you guys for having me. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Healthy Charleston podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram, search Healthy Charleston, one word, like, follow, comment on today's episode. If you have any questions, 
comments, if you have possible guests that you want us to bring on, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, reach out there, send us a direct message. We would love some feedback. Also, if you get any extra time, head over to iTunes, give us a rating. Again, put comments there. We love your feedback. Have a phenomenal